Welcome back. Our guest this week is former Representative Adam Zemke from the education group Launch Michigan, facing a huge teacher shortage problem, which is on the way. Our lead story, turmoil in the state Republican Party. On the OTR panel, Jordan Hermani, Stephen Henderson, Kyle Malin, sitting with us as we get the inside out off the record. Production of Off the Record is made possible in part by the following. Business Leaders for Michigan has a strategic plan to make Michigan a top 10 state in the nation for jobs, personal income, and a healthy economy. Learn more at michigansroadtotop10.com. And now, this edition of Off the Record with Tim Skubik. Thank you very much. Welcome back to Off the Record. Our days of Zoom OTR are numbered August 6th. Circle that date. We're going to be back in the studio with these good people who are with us, Stephen Henderson, Kyle Malin, and Jordan. Good to see all three of you. Everybody's doing well. Uh, Kyle, little turmoil in the Republican Party. Que pasa? Well, the executive director of the Michigan Republican Party is Jason Rowe, and uh, he was brought in by the current chair, Ron Weiser, to kind of run the day-to-day operations of the Michigan Republican Party. Uh, He was not a favorite of the Trump Republican sect of the party because he uh, basically said, hey, look, I'm sorry, but Trump lost. And actually, he lost it himself because he didn't campaign very well in Michigan until the last two weeks of the campaign. Uh, And we got to move on. We got to move on to 2022. Well, that didn't really set very well with a very uh, specific part of the Republican Party who makes up a lot of the energy and grassroots uh, uh, activism. And uh, so they put out a petition, urged him to resign. Well, uh, this week he did resign. Now, to the extent that it had anything to do with this controversy, and and it was a a personality conflict between um, uh, Jason Rowe and, and Ron Weiser, we may never exactly know for sure. Uh, but the uh, Trump Republicans in the party are spiking the football and doing the end zone dance uh, because they feel like a rhino is rhino being Republican in name only is out of the Republican Party headquarters and more should be uh, on the way out. Jordan, uh, how, how serious is this or is this much to do about inside baseball that nobody out in the hinterland gives two hoots about? Um, well, it definitely will set somewhat of a tone. The Republican Party has gone through a number of uh, individuals recently. Uh, They had a communications director who uh, Jason, I'm sorry, not Jason Rowe, Ted Goodman, he was a part of the party recently, uh, left to pursue an unnamed opportunity, which is what Jason Rowe said (laughs) earlier last month. Um, They had another individual, a woman named Caitlin Buss, who worked for the Detroit News for a period of time. She left after two days Um, It seems that there's a lot of internal turnover and whether that means that the party is aligning behind a certain narrative uh, remains to be seen. But it does appear that they are lining up individuals who may or may not be very pro-President Trump and and concerned with the 2020 election rather than like what Kyle was saying about Jason Rowe was interested in focusing on 2022. Stephen, uh, is there an internal civil war quietly going on behind the scenes, which now all of a sudden is not so quiet? Well, I think that uh, look at the party nationally. There is a civil war going on. Um, There's a, you know, there's this real push and pull uh, between people who support the former president and people who don't, people who believe that the 2020 election was handled fairly and that the Republicans lost. 
uh, and people who believe uh, that there was some mischief afoot. Uh, that's playing out here in, in Michigan, and I, I don't expect that it's going to resolve itself anytime soon. I think the real question is the, the effect this has on 2022, which is, of course, gearing up. We saw uh, former Detroit Police Chief James Craig uh, this week give a speech that sort of indicated how enthusiastic he is about the idea of getting into politics, uh, talking about uh, Governor Whitmer and his criticisms of her. Uh, how does this affect a, a James Craig uh, campaign? Uh, is he going to have to sort of answer this question about uh, Donald Trump? Is he going to have to answer this question about the 2020 election, which, of course, uh, as the Detroit police chief, he had some hand in overseeing here uh, in the city of, of Detroit. Uh, I, I feel like they're digging themselves a hole that's going to be hard to crawl out of uh, by next summer when when people are going to start making the decisions about uh, who to support uh, in that November uh, 2022 uh, midterm uh, election. And sitting on the sidelines going, yeah, is Governor Gretchen Whitmer, Kyle. <laughs> this is I mean, this is this is beautiful for the D's, is it not? No, I mean, they, they're uh, certainly uh, just sitting back and, and eating the popcorn and watching this go and really don't want to get involved, uh, just kind of let the spotlight shine on them. Uh, but keep in mind, though, an internal conflict that plays out publicly is not unique to the Republican Party. I mean, we can go back to the Tea Party movement when the Tea Party was seen as a an aggressive faction that the Republican Party had to try and harness. And they were trying to keep people out like uh, let's say Matt Maddock or uh, Michonne Maddox, and and now Michonne Maddox is the is the co-chair of the Republican Party, or you don't, or you can go back to Pat Robertson, or, or remember when Ronald Reagan was actually one of the outsiders who was leading a bunch of uh, aggressive conservatives, and then he became uh, the head of the party. So I mean, this is not unique. Uh, the the question will be if, as in those uh, prior two cases. Um, if that is uh, something that's going to be able to be mended over time, and it usually is. And, and will the Republican Party continue to be one of Trump, or is this something that can uh, turn itself around and the focus be on Gretchen Whitmer, James Craig in 2022? All right, let's turn the page and look at another story in our town this week. The LGBTQ community dodged the bullet. They thought uh, they were going to lose this petition drive issue, but then all of a sudden, time out. It was as if it was the bottom of the ninth inning. The home team was behind with two outs, and the batter was facing a critical 3-2 count. When suddenly, time out, time out. the umpire calls time out. That's precisely what the State Board of Canvassers did today, just when everybody thought the four-member board would vote to kill the gay rights petition drive for lack of enough valid petition signatures to expand the state civil rights act. Last week, the board staff declared that Fair and Equal Michigan did not submit enough names. But hours before the board meeting today, the proponents argued that the state board never considered some petition names that should have been counted. There's a number of petitions uh, we submitted uh, 61 examples that were uh, never even included in the group of petitions uh, that were counted in a sample. Over 400,000 petition names were submitted to the state with 314,000 valid names required to make it illegal for gays to be fired or lose their housing because of their sexual preference. The state board decided there were enough unanswered questions that this delay of a final decision was warranted. The attorney for the group opposing this proposal asked for permission to submit more what she hoped would be duplicate petition signatures to keep this off the ballot. If we're going to extend this, which 
you know, I, I, I don't think it's going to change the result at all. If within that time frame, I would like the ability to be able to submit additional duplicates if they're found. The fair and equal attorney, having just dodged the bullet, was relieved to have more time. I think that provides us an opportunity to demonstrate uh, to the staff at the Bureau of Elections and the board uh, that there are a number of valid signatures that should be counted. We're confident that enough total signatures, valid signatures were filed. Meanwhile, the umpire's timeout will last until July 26th, when the state board meets again to decide the fate of this petition drive. So, Jordan, where are we headed here? Is there the sense in town that maybe they're going to come up with enough names to qualify for the ballot or for the legislative process? Well, it really all depends on the argument that Fair and Equal Michigan is making right now that the Bureau of Elections has held them to a higher standard than any other petition drive uh, to date. That's what attorneys with Fair and Equal Michigan are claiming. Um, played in the clip there a moment ago that there is a number of petition uh, forms that, you know, they are alleged to not have a date, but there is a date there that's clearly written. However, instead of writing nine, it looks more like a Q, or they allege that there are individuals who signed their name. Uh, they may have the name of Nick, but they're registered as Nicholas uh, in the state's qualified voter file. So their name may have been thrown out. It really does depend on these next couple of days, whether or not those arguments are persuasive enough to make the case that those signatures should be counted. There's still also the issue of Fair and Equal Michigan went without sort of any kind of permission and gathered signatures electronically during the uh, height of the COVID-19 pandemic. They gathered almost about 20,000 electronic signatures that were just straight thrown out by the board uh, in their staff report earlier. And the question as to whether those should count valid or not is also still up in the air. Whether the board does end up approving, I'm sorry, the, uh, yes, the Board of State Canvassers, whether they do end up approving the petition initiative, um, if they do not, the Fair and Equal Mission Group has signaled that they are willing to go to court for it. So even if the Bureau of Elections, the Board of State Canvassers do decide that it's uh, not a valid petition uh, from their visage, uh, it's, it's still going to be around for some time yet. Uh, Stephen, as with many stories in our town, there are always two sides to a story, and there are also two levels of the story. We have the story of the impact on the gay community, but underneath the story, I don't think there's a lot of Republicans running for re-election in 2022 that would like to see this on the ballot. Am I reading the tea leaves correctly, or am I wrong again? I, th I think uh, this is a potential uh, uh, problem for Republicans. Um, you know, this is an issue that has has uh, been sort of on the precipice uh, since the, the gay marriage decision at the Supreme Court um, in Washington. Uh, these are the next issues. Why should you be able to fire somebody because of their sexual orientation? Why should you be able to deny somebody housing or, or other services because of that? I think most people in this state believe that uh, that kind of discrimination is wrong. Uh, and if if the legislature were asked to have to vote on it, um, you know, the, that could anger a lot of those a lot of those voters. Uh, at the same time, of course, uh, the, the, the base of the Republican Party uh, still is living a little in the dark ages on this issue. Uh, and there's a lot of people who would be angered if uh, they saw their Republican legislators uh, vote for something like this. So it's, it's just something you'd rather not see, I think, if you're sitting 
uh, in the legislature. But again, um, it's so frustrating, I think, to, to, to continue to have to have this argument uh, about fairness, uh, about equality. Um, it, it, these seem like very basic issues now that we just have not gotten right in the state of Michigan. And of course, the big fear for the Republicans, if this got on the statewide ballot, it might drive more people to the polls who would not only vote to uh, and make this stuff illegal, but then hang around long enough to vote for a D over an R. Kyle, quickly, the vaccine program and the lottery program, is it working? Well, if the goal was to try and get more people vaccinated than the period of time prior to the sweepstakes, then the answer is no. Uh, but we really don't know if even fewer people would have gotten vaccinated had it not been for the uh, the uh, the whole uh, sweepstakes. So I, I guess we really don't know. I mean, maybe they've gotten a few more thousand. Uh, the numbers don't really bear out that it's been this big tidal wave, however. Uh, but what it has done is that it, it's kept the whole issue of vaccinations it, top of mind, or at least kind of in the background for uh, folks, as opposed to not even on their mind at all. Uh, and the ability to win, uh, you know, $50,000 or maybe this grand prize it, it could be that last nudge for some folks, but it's certainly not getting us the 70% overnight. Uh, the Senate Fiscal Agency, though, uh, did revise their uh, uh, their estimates on when we're going to get to that 70% vaccination total uh, from next year, at basically this time, to December. So they're seeing enough movement in the numbers that... Uh, you know, it, it, maybe it's working a little bit, but it, it's certainly not uh, the uh, it's certainly not causing a stampede to the health departments. Well, when you say the Senate Fiscal Agency revised its numbers, I think you're being generous. How in the heck did they go from July of next year to December 5th? What the heck happened in between that they missed? Or am I wrong? Well, it could it could absolutely be the sweepstakes, and they could be seeing a higher number in the percentage. You know, you're expecting kind of a slope down, and so maybe that slope is kind of uh, flattened out a little bit, as opposed to being a ski slope uh, on a black diamond. Maybe now it's like a bunny hill. So uh, that could be what we're looking at here, Tim. All right, let's talk about education and call in former state representative Adam Zimke from down in the Ann Arbor area. Uh, representative, are you there magically? I am, Tim. There you go. It's good to see you again. How you doing, man? Good to see you, too. I'm doing very well. Listen, you, you put out some numbers yesterday that are kind of startling. Let's play this out. Worst case scenario, when the kids supposedly go back in the classroom in this fall, where there'll be some classroom with nobody at the chalkboard saying, welcome back. You know, I think uh, I, I don't want to create a doomsday uh, type of crisis for your Go your ahead. We're, well, we're trying to make some news here, representatives, so help me out. <laughs> I do. Uh, I do think that uh, this is a real concern. You know, I think that uh, that uh, based on our data, uh, 44. There's an uptick of 44 uh, percent of potential retirements um, from education. And what they told us in the survey is that it's not uh, just uh, things that happened during COVID. COVID exacerbated problems that already existed. We surveyed uh, teachers in 2019 as well with similar questions, but also some additional ones in 2021. And uh, and we found that coming back to them, we're seeing the same problems that existed, except that, you know, COVID probably accelerated things a little bit. Right, so there will be some teachers that won't show up on the opening day of school. Is that not a fair statement? I think that's always a fair statement. And the number will be how high? 
I have no idea. It's, uh, it's, uh, it's, you know, there, there are tens of thousands of educators across our 1.5 million, uh, school kids. Uh, and so, you know, you could see a lot, you're going to see it probably, um, in areas that, uh, have struggled to retain and recruit educators in the past. Although you are seeing as a result of the uh, Biden administration's American rescue plan, um, much more equitable funding going into some of those communities. And some of them, like DPSCD as a, as a good example, are utilizing some of those funds to help recruit and retain educators and drive down some of those empty classroom spots uh, from the past. Jordan, so. you got one? Yeah, so when looking over uh, your report, I was kind of struck by the similarities, in my mind at least, between uh, the Department of Corrections issues with correctional officers and having you know, uh, an understaffing problem. You noted that you this teacher retirement was not solely driven because of COVID. I mean, in your mind, is this retirement issue due to an influx of teachers who are now retirement age and, you know, we're seeing older people just getting out of the profession, leaving a big gap where, you know, younger individuals who were advised against joining the teaching profession, you know, there's just nobody to fill those ranks. I mean, is that kind of what you believe may have played a role here or where, where I guess, do you see where this is falling apart? Yeah, for sure. So it's a great question. I do think that it is possible that uh, you have some uh, of these educators who are, you know, they're aging uh, and they're getting ready to retire and this sort of pushed them over the edge. But uh, the, the, I think the similarity between the 2019 answers uh, to why they're leaving the classroom, the lack of respect for the profession, the uh, fact that uh, compensation and empowerment and support have not been priorities uh, for for them uh, or, or to support them. Uh, those answers are very consistent from 2019 to 2021. So certainly demographics are playing a role in this, but the point you just made, Jordan, around how you've got uh, folks who have been discouraged to go into education is absolutely playing a role as well. But the reasons are consistent, and that's probably the most remarkable uh, piece that I personally took from our survey is that Yes, COVID uh, accelerated things, but the reasons from 2019 as to why they're leaving are the same. Stephen. So we saw uh, the governor sign a budget this uh, week for schools that she says is the largest budget in the state's history for uh, education. Um, I, I would imagine that that was a welcome sign to you, but I wonder uh, what, you, what effect you think that will have on this problem and some of the other things uh, that you guys point out in this report? Yeah, so I mean, certainly uh, it's a historic budget and the fact that we now have equal funding uh, per pupil uh, with the exception of a, a few small districts who, who had carve outs from proposal A uh, is very historic. And uh, what we feel, our takeaway from that is, is that's positive for the teacher shortage, uh, correcting some of the teacher shortage issues, but uh, you know, fun, there's funding and there are resources. And so how we allocate resources towards teachers is going to play a role in ultimately if we are able to utilize this funding to curb some of the, uh, some of the shortage issues. The other thing that I'll uh, also uh, remind folks is that this, while this budget is very historic and we've now realized the promise of Proposal A, we have a ton of evidence that supports that we need to go towards equitable funding. And so uh, it's our hope now that we can have a serious conversation as a state 
on focusing on how students are funded based on their needs. Because we know that every student is unique and we know that they need different things when they're coming into that classroom. And so as a result of that, all the evidence supports that we need to be funding that way. So we're hopeful now that we have equal funding, we can get into needs-based funding. Kyle. Well, and in fact, yep. there's a report sitting on a shelf in Lansing right now uh, from uh, the previous administration that showed, in fact, uh, that we need equitable funding. Uh, what what will get that that conversation going? It's it's been stalled since that report came out. Yeah, actually, there are two reports, in fact, and uh, <laughs> and they say similar things by different comparable uh, uh, values. Uh, but uh, but um, I think it's. I think certainly taking the equalization of funding off the table, like the governor just did in passage of this budget, uh, governor and legislature, is helpful. Uh, but uh, you know, Michigan has structurally uh, a uh, schools funding uh, formula that is actually not terrible, although it's not uh, it's not adequate, nor is it uh, totally equitable either. But the basic structure, the elements around the at-risk fund, around the special education fund, and around the ELL fund are, are actually speaking towards getting towards these equity weighting factors that are, that are in those reports. It's not quite aligned, but it's not a bad place to start either. So to answer your question directly, this is about a conversation with the voters. It's about a conversation with parents, and it's about a conversation to influence those policymakers uh, in Lansing. I think we're going to have to do all three. Kyle. Uh, Adam, how did the legislature do in response to COVID in vis-a-vis um, -vis the, the classroom? I know there was talk about we got to adjust the third grade reading law. We have to adjust uh, how teachers are receiving raises. Uh, there are some other issues as well. Did they address those or did they drop the ball? Well, you know, based on the, uh, the survey data that we have, uh, I would say that most educators were very satisfied, uh, were pretty satisfied at least, with uh, the way their schools handled it. So if funding and, and policy were directing those schools' actions, uh, the, the respondents who we have uh, said that they did all right. The, one of the numbers in there is that your teachers, 72%, were not getting, quote, respect from politicians. Do you think this Republican legislature in the, is in the mode of, we'll tell you what to do, teachers, now go do it? Uh, I actually don't think that the legislature uh, has historically ever made any real progress on telling people what to do. Um, the uh, but but I do think that uh, certainly some headlines uh, influence uh, what people are feeling in the field. Uh, and I th I just think overall, and this is what we heard from educators more than anything, is that they're feeling demoralized uh, because they have a lack of support, a lack of resources. And, uh, and that is translated in funding, but it's also translated in local decision-making too. And you know, we asked them about the support from their building level administrators. We asked them about the support from their, their uh, district level administrators. You know, these things are all, they're not a, a science in a lot of ways, it's an art. And so uh, you know, we're, gonna, we're gonna have to wait and see if this additional funding translates into that, uh, or if we need to make additional policy considerations to help empower them more. Jordan, we got time for one more, please. I am so sorry there. Going back to the budget, um, you know, more than $17 billion has been approved in the K-12 budget. Of that amount, about $240 million are going towards hiring uh, psychologists, social workers uh, to address, you know, student mental health needs. And considering how big of a push that that has been 
by both Republicans and Democrats throughout the pandemic of addressing student mental health needs and what kind of impact that has had on distant learning, um, is $240 million enough? So uh, I think if you look at any of those studies that Stephen previously referenced, you'll see that although it's helpful, right, and uh, it's probably not enough. Uh, if you look at the evidence-based uh, studies, those cost-you-now studies around uh, what uh, we should have in every classroom, you know, classroom teacher ratios to, to student ratios, uh, coaches, uh, mental health professionals, counselors, career, uh, career counselors, um, the numbers that we have right now, and frankly, the ability to find people who are qualified uh, are some of our largest problems. If we ever want to see or realize the promise of what evidence says we should have in classrooms, those ratios, that staffing potential, um, we have a lot of work to do to hire, uh, to recruit and retain and hire people into those professions and get them in classrooms and then keep them in classrooms uh, or in school buildings. So to answer your question, I think it's a huge step forward. It might actually be, uh, although I don't have any evidence to support this, but maybe it is enough given the fact that we don't have all of the workforce that we need to, to actually get to those evidence-based levels. Uh, we'll time will tell, uh, we'll see. Uh, but long-term, if we really wanna get to a vision of, of what those uh, studies say we, we uh, should have in Michigan to move the needle, um, we have a lot of work to do, both funding, resource allocation, and uh, and certainly uh, workforce. Stephen, one minute, Stephen. Fire away, kid. So, uh, so when we think about uh, the, the, the retirement issue, uh, we also think about, of course, recruitment and training of teachers. Uh, what are we doing on that end here in Michigan to get more people into the profession? Uh, there, there is uh, resources that are in the uh, earth funding state budget to uh, help uh, help do that. Uh, but be honest with you, we need to do a lot more. Um, we, uh, you know, if you have a, a profession that is demoralized that we have consistently seen from from those in the profession who are uh, telling people not to go into the profession, then you have to do two things, right? You have to uh, fix those issues so that you don't continue to have that rhetoric permeating um, future workforce, but also you then need to uh, help recruit and retain. So, you know, I think we need a, it's not a good way to describe it, but a massive uh, PSA style uh, campaign with incentives and, uh, and you know, a workforce that feels empowered and has these, uh, these uh, problems that they told us actually corrected. I think it's gonna be a two part solution it is not going to be something that happens next year or the year after. It's going to be a 10-year uh, solution to a problem that's frankly been decades. Representative, thanks very much for being on the show. Do you miss us, sir? I always miss you, Tim. <laughs> not me. These folks. They're the good people. <laughs> I, I always miss them, but I especially miss you, Tim. Yeah, there you, you ought to go into politics. <laughs> also, our thanks to Kyle and Jordan and Stephen. Next week, more Off the Record right here. Production of Off the Record is made possible in part by the following. Business Leaders for Michigan has a strategic plan to make Michigan a top 10 state in the nation for jobs, personal income, and a healthy economy. Learn more at michigansroadtotop10.com. For more Off the Record, visit wkar.org. Michigan Public Television stations have contributed to the production costs of Off the Record with Tim Skubik.